Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology. And it comes out on February 16th and has essays by 60 plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all, please pre-order this book. I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented. Um, just to give you a few, um, Chris Bajalian, uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes, Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin, Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman. And that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents. So please pick up this book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. It's available anywhere you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also, I want to invite you listeners to my um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me. And 50 of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at at the front, will be there. And you can be there too. So if you go to my website, zibbyowens.com, and just click on Anthology and go to Book Tour, you will see um, a whole fundraiser section. And for $50, um, you can attend. You'll get a copy of the book, and you'll get to schmooze on Zoom with all of these amazing authors. This is like going to be the literary happening of February. So please come. I would love to see you all in person on Zoom, I guess, but even see some of your faces. I know so many of you are really loyal listeners, and that makes me really happy. All proceeds of the book and the fundraiser are going to the Susan Felice Owens Program for COVID-19 Vaccine Research at Mount Sinai Health System. And it is named after my husband's mother, who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much to today's sponsor, Three Righteous Mamas. Are you looking for a new podcast? I mean, keep listening to mine but you can add one to the mix. (laughs) We recommend you check out Three Righteous Mamas, where three all-American moms who are Latina, Muslim, and queer talk about the issues of the day with some of the biggest change makers and thought leaders in our world. These three mamas are on a mission to transform our country and celebrate the power and hope of pissed-off mamas who are building a better future for all of our children. There's no podcast quite like it, so check it out on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. 
Amy Newmark is the editor of the Chicken Soup for the Soul anthology, Making Me Time, 101 Stories About Self-Care and Balance. Amy is the best-selling author, editor-in-chief of publisher of the entire Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. Since 2008, she has published 174 new books. That's 174 new books, most of them national bestsellers in the U.S. and Canada, more than doubling the number of Chicken Soup for the Soul titles in print today. She's also the author of Simply Happy, a crash course in chicken soup for the soul advice and wisdom that's filled with easy to implement practical tips. She is really credited with revitalizing the entire chicken soup for the soul brand, which has been a publishing industry phenomenon since the first book came out in 1993. Amy graduated magna cum laude from Harvard University, where she majored in Portuguese and minored in French. She then embarked on a three-decade career as a Wall Street analyst, a hedge fund manager, and a corporate executive in the technology field. She's also a chartered financial analyst. Her return to literary pursuits was inevitable, as her honors thesis in college involved traveling through Brazil's impoverished northeast region region, collecting stories from regular people. When Amy and her husband, Bill, the CEO of Chicken Soup for the Soul, are not working, they are visiting their four grown children and their grandchildren. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here. I've heard about you for years, and I was so excited to finally get the opportunity to meet you. Oh, well, this is so great because we have these anthologies coming out at the exact same time. And your book, which, as you know, I read a couple months ago, and I <laughs> I read it on one of these days where I can't remember why, but I was like walking around my house like the whole time reading it. And all I remember is like looping around and reading essay after essay and thinking I was just going to read one. And then I couldn't stop. It was so good. And now, of course, I've forgotten most of them. But they were amazing. <laughs> you know, they're like potato chips. They are, they, right? You can't stop. You say, I, I sometimes read our old books again and I'll say, I'm just going to read one story and then I'll just sit there and read five stories because I can't stop. They're great. So this whole chicken soup for the soul enterprise you have going. This particular book is the latest one called Making Me Time, 101 Stories About Self-Care and Balance. And I do want to talk about this book because it has so many great essays from all sorts of different writers. But I want to just start and get some background on how you got to where you are right now. How did this whole enterprise get revamped and launched? And how, how do you keep launching books with 101 essays like all the time? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, it's kind of like a hamster on a treadmill, right? It just never stops. Sometimes I say it's like labor pains, you know, like one comes and then you have a little break and then there's another one and you can't stop, but they're always going to come. And I feel that way with books. I get one to the printer, but I have to immediately turn to the next one. There's just no downtime. But I do love doing it. So that's the good part. I complain about it all the time about how busy I am. And then I really find that I love it anyway, because I mean, it's storytelling. How great is it to have a job where I get to just share wonderful storytelling with people? And it was funny. We bought the company in 2008 from its founders, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. And they were motivational speakers and they were writing a lot of other books besides Chicken Soup for the Soul books. And they just decided it was time to pass Chicken Soup for the Soul on to people who could take it to the next level. So I had not had a resume in years because I had always just gone by reputation. I was a Wall Street person and a technology person. I was a, an analyst covering telecom and technology stocks. And then I ran a hedge fund and then I was hired by one of the companies I invested in and became part of a telecommunications startup. And then I left there because I married the CEO. And that was a time when you couldn't be married. You couldn't be one of the top executives and be married to the CEO at a public company. Maybe now you can, but you couldn't then. 
that was, you know, 25 years ago. So then I started going on the boards of various publicly traded technology companies. So my whole life was bad until I turned 50 and the last kid went off to college. So we were officially empty nesters. And that's when we decided to do this crazy thing and buy a publishing company right at the beginning of a huge recession, you know, with bookstores closing and borders going bankrupt. It was a terrible time to buy anything, especially a publishing company, but we survived. But anyway, I was putting together a resume then. And the funniest thing happened. I sat down and thought about what I had done in my life and realized that I had just made a complete 30-year circle because when I was 20 and doing research for my honors thesis for undergrad, I went off to Brazil for several months and was collecting stories from regular people in Brazil. There was a form of popular literature that you know anybody could just make these crudely printed pamphlets and share stories with each other. And I was in Brazil for months traveling to all these poverty-stricken regions and talking to people and collecting their stories. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I did this when I was 20 and now I'm starting to do this again in my new career at age 50. Wow. So what what was it about that time in your life that you decided to do that? I mean, why not just say, okay, now we're going to travel or now we're going to like sit around and play chess all day or something? Like why double down? Why get into a new industry? I mean, it's so ironic. You have like this whole career in tech and yet you buy a company that's as like anti-tech as, as possible. It's like the oldest, <laughs> oldest form of information transmission on the planet, you know, aside from cave walls, you know? So how did that even, like, w- what appealed to you so much? Well, you know what? It's funny. So when I was 50, that was the second time I retired. <laughs> yeah. Cause I had already retired once when I had my children and then I went back to work and then retired again when I was an empty nester. And then my husband was looking for something new to do. And some of the companies he looked at, I wasn't interested in. But this one, I just somehow plunged in because I was always a book person. And, you know, I I was looking through old photos the other day and I found this old photo in a photo album I got from my mother. And it showed this crudely painted sign I had put on my door when I was a little kid, you know, made like on the easel. (laughs) I mean, I am such a grammar geek. The stupid sign I had put on my door when I was probably, you know, eight years old, it said, good English, please. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember I used to write stories for fun in first grade. Like as soon as I discovered there were words and you could use them and you could make things with words, I started doing that. You know, and they say you should do what you loved when you were a kid. So here I am back doing words again. But even when I was in technology and on all those boards and everything, I always wrote like I was the board member who helped them with the press releases and the annual report. And even when I ran my hedge fund, I would still write these big, long research reports about my positions to you know, influence other hedge fund managers to buy or sell the things that I was buying or selling. So I've always been into writing and using writing as a way to persuade people. But the difference is that when I used to write on Wall Street, you know how they say Wall Street has two emotions, fear and greed. So I was really, you know, like dealing with people's fear and appealing to their greed to get them to do what I wanted them to do in terms of buying the right stock or selling stocks that I thought were going to go down. And now I just get to deal with all the human emotions. But what happened was I never had read Chicken Soup for the Soul books. I was your typical like elitist Ivy League graduate, you know, who honestly didn't enjoy reading Shakespeare. But but anyway, I 
sat down and read 100 of the old Chicken Soup for the Soul books over a three-month period in 2007, you know, doing the due diligence for this LBO where we were going to do in 2008. And I just loved them. I mean, I was crying. I was laughing. I had to change my contact lenses every week instead of every two weeks because I kept wrecking them with salt, you know, from my tears of laughter or my tears of, you know, heartbreak or shared happiness, you know, all the reasons you cry when you're reading something. So then I thought, wow, I actually know what I would do with this publishing line and how I want to bring it, you know, into more modern times, make it very relevant. And so I changed it a lot. And now we really just do a lot of different topics that I think are really interesting and relevant, like this new book that has just come out, Making Me Time, because everybody's talking about self-care now. Self-care is a huge topic of interest. And me time is the classic way to give yourself that self-care. And in fact, I saw this survey in January that Zulily did. And so they were really surveying their customer base, which is mostly busy women, mostly moms. And they asked them, what did they want the most for Valentine's Day? Their number one pick for a gift for Valentine's Day. And they didn't say, you know, chocolate or wine or jewelry. I bet they said, they said, bet they said time alone. Is that what they said? They said they, did, they, said they wanted me time. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> oh, fabulous. They want me time on February 14th for Valentine's Day. Well, guess what I have for February 16th? <laughs> and actually, so do you, right? So you also came out with a book that was really about self-care and me time for February 16th. So we are, the two of us are so on target with the most important thing that people are looking for these days. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad we did that. <laughs> I hope we're yeah, helping know, lots we're of so, people. <laughs> we're, we're just so amazing. We are. We're, we're so plugged in. Totally. We were like, totally, we, we, predicted this before it even came. But you know what it is? You and I are so busy that like the two of us, the thing we probably crave the most is me time, right? That's what we want. I mean, God, I'm so excited if I get an hour to read at night, to read something that I have not edited. Like it is so great to have that one hour. I just live for that all day. See, I've turned that into like what I do all day is having to read. And so now I have to do it. So now I do it. It's great. <laughs> now I just- That to- is even better. Reading books that you didn't have to edit, that you have to read, and then you get to talk about them and you get to meet the authors. But what is better than that? Like I saw your book club appearance by Elizabeth Berg talking mm-hmm. about her latest book. And I, of course I had heard of her, but I don't think I had read any of her books. So I immediately that day got, I think it was called Home Safe. And I read that one. And now I'm reading another one of her books, oh, good. you know, in my one hour at night. Oh, so that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you for welcome. turning me on to an author who I should have been reading all along. No, no. I'm glad you came to that book club. I mean, I think that's the thing also that your book is doing. I mean, you have so many authors in here and writers that I had not heard of that are fantastic. These essays are well-written and thoughtful and bring a whole range of perspectives and are emotional and inspiring. Like, where do you find all the authors? How does, how does it work? So people love being published by Chicken Soup for the Soul. I bet. And, <laughs> and we, will have, we will have stories just appear in our you know, database of submitted stories. They'll appear from you know, New York Times bestselling novelists and their stories will pop up. 
And I'll say, oh my gosh, I am sure I know this name because everybody has stories that don't fit into their normal published works. Like I remember years ago, we published a great story by Brad Meltzer Mm -hmm. about his mom because a wonderful moving story about his mom is not going to fit into one of his suspense novels, right? So we get stories from everybody, but what we love is publishing stories by people who have never been published before. Like amazingly in our Making Me Time book, 48 of the authors we have never published before in a Chicken Soup for the Soul book. And there's a pretty good chance they've never been published anywhere before. Because for so many people, their first time being published is with us. But you'd be amazed how many people we publish and it starts them thinking, oh my gosh, I really am an author. And then even though we don't recommend it, they quit their day jobs. But a lot of them become hugely successful authors. There's a guy named Andrew Kaufman who we published maybe 10 years ago. He wrote about having cancer in our cancer book. We published that. He had been a television news producer. So writing of a different kind and being published by us helped him to say, you know, I've always wanted to write instead of being a TV news producer. And so he quit. He is now such a successful novelist and he's given us other stories also. But we have so many people who went on to publish whole books after they got their start publishing one little story in a chicken soup for the soul book. That's amazing. So how do you keep that community going? Do you, do you introduce all those writers to each other? Like, do you have a big Facebook group for chicken soup contributors or something? We don't have a Facebook group because we would have to monitor it. And that would be more than a full-time job yeah. for one person. <laughs> but we do have a lot of activities for contributors. And so I used to travel around the country having luncheons and dinners with contributors and introducing them to each other in their particular area Now we're going to start doing that on Zoom. We also do a Twitter launch party for every book. Every book, there's like a Twitter party and they all introduce each other and they show each other photos that go with their stories. And so, so many of our contributors have become great friends and some of them live, you know, 2000 miles apart. They've become best friends because technology lets them and then they'll actually travel to meet each other. It really is a family. We have an email list of about, I'd say 7,000 people who we communicate with regularly and we send them a newsletter. And the way people find out about us is they'll either get one of our emailed story callouts to find out what we're doing, although just go to our website, which is chickensoup.com. And if you go to our website, you can click on submit your story. And then we show you all the topics that we're collecting for. And we have story guidelines and we really walk people through the process. So it's very easy to submit and every single submission gets read. And so it's really thrilling when we can say, you know, like half the half the people in a new book, like this Making Me Time book are new to us. So we're constantly widening our net. You know, we're spreading our net to get more and more contributors and huge amounts of diversity. We make a really big point of saying, we absolutely want stories from every ethnicity, every religion, every not religion, you know, every belief system, every every place that you could possibly live, every ethnicity, belief, every sexual identity, the whole LGBTQ community. I mean, we've always been like that, though. That's not a new thing for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Since Chicken Soup for the Soul started 27 years ago, Chicken Soup for the Soul has always reflected everybody in the pages of our books, which is cool because then you get to meet people in the books who you wouldn't ordinarily meet. 
you know, so that's it kind of makes you a more well-rounded person when you're reading 101 stories from people spread all over the U.S. and Canada and even some other countries as well. It's so neat. It's great. And you have that new one coming out. You were just telling me about the book coming out in June. Tell me more about that one. Yeah. So people have been asking us, could you make a book for the Black community? And I was trying to figure out how to do it. And then I finally figured out I really wanted to make the book for Black women. So we have this really cool book coming out. We actually just finished making it. We made it early so that we could get it out for reviews. I'm working with a wonderful Black female novelist named Rena Clark, who, oh my gosh, she was an overnight success. Oh gosh, a couple of decades ago, she was working as an assistant at a media company. And on the side, she was writing, you know, this amazing great American novel, basically. And it was her first novel and it was picked for the Oprah Book Club. And it went wild. You know, she sold more than 700,000 copies and she's had two really fabulous novels since then. And I know she has another one coming out sometime in the next couple of years, which I, I heard a reading of a little part of it the other day and it was so good. So she's been working with me and she and I together worked on choosing all of the stories. And there were so many great stories that it really broke my heart that I couldn't put all of them in our book. And I actually, I actually already kind of cheated because we're supposed to have 101, but I took all the ones that were poems and I said, I'm not going to count the poems. I'll just put those in separately. I'll sprinkle those throughout the book. So I have 101 stories and then another dozen poems on top of that because I just, and then I took so many of the stories that were great that we just didn't have room for. And I moved them to other Chicken Soup for the Soul books coming out in the second half of 2021. So I'm trying to publish as many of them as possible, but that's been really, really exciting also providing this safe space for Black women to talk about what really matters to them and to share about just what happens. I mean, one woman, this will, you'll get this, being a mom of teenagers, her son wanted to go and protest. He wanted to go and walk in a protest about George Floyd. And so he said, mom, I need a t-shirt. And she couldn't get him a George Floyd t-shirt quickly enough because, you know, he needed it in like two days because he's a teenage boy. So he needed it immediately. <laughs> you know, he didn't ask her on time. And then she found a t-shirt that said, I can't breathe on it. That was from an Eric Garner protest. Hmm. And it just broke her heart. She's like, here, I have the perfect t-shirt for you. But she was thinking, how do I have the perfect t-shirt again? Eric Gardner was six years ago. And now I'm giving this to my son for George Floyd. You know, and it was so moving and just something that would appeal to every mom that this is what I'm dealing with. And my poor son has to now go and wear the t-shirt from Eric Garner because it applies still to George Floyd. So there are stories like that in the book, which I think, I mean, I think everybody will read this book because everybody needs to understand what's really happening and what it's really like to be in this in the black community and have these things going on in society today that make you feel so unsafe at all times you know so anyway brina clark though is the one who i've been relying on for all of that because i wouldn't be presumptuous enough to say that i should choose the story so she chose the stories and i'm putting them together and publishing this book so that's that book that's amazing but anyway yeah, that's been my form of me time, though. See, that has been such an amazing experience that that work has felt more like self-care and me time because 
when you're really passionate about doing something, it doesn't feel like work anymore. Totally. Wow. I mean, that book sounds amazing. This book already was amazing and now it's just coming out and I'm sure will be a place of refuge just to lose yourself in these pages is, you know, it's like the book itself is the me time, you know, you don't have to then go take a bath or anything, you know, accomplished already. So did you notice when you were reading, making me time, how many people talked about getting outside in nature? Yes. In fact, right. Yes. In fact, the day I read it, I remember I like made a point to go into the park because I was like, you know what? I totally don't do this enough. Like I should, I mean, I do it with my dog, but like, I have to make it a part of my life. I have to do all of these things seem so simple going into nature, reading, spending time in the library. I love this self-care found in a library basement one and just all these things are achievable and yet they get put on the back burner until something happens and you just can't avoid taking care of yourself because something bad happens or, or something, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, people have to put the, you have to put self-care on your to-do list. And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to do the me time after I finish my to-do list. Like, no, no, no. Put your me time on your to-do list and don't vacuum the house. Like your me time is more important. But it was interesting how people found that the thing they were doing often when they were procrastinating and saying, oh, I haven't done my me time was actually their me time, like going and taking a walk. Like one woman went outside and she sat by the pool and she was saying, okay, I know I have to come up with some me time, but I really just want to sit here and look at the birds and listen to them chirping and look at the leaves rustling. And she did that for half an hour. And then she said, Oh, that was my me time. I'm such an idiot. And then the woman who said, yeah, the woman who was at the library sale, so the book sale once a year when you can buy books for, you know, a dollar at the library. And they said, oh, we're not going to have the event anymore because nobody's volunteered to do it going forward. And she said, well, I would do it, but I don't have time. And I still, she's thinking, I still have to get my me time organized. Like I know I'm supposed to engage in self-care, so I can't possibly do this. And then her husband volunteered her anyway. And then she went and she did it and she realized, oh my gosh, that's my me time. I love books. Volunteering at the library and organizing the books for the sale each year, that is the best me time I could possibly have. And so that was one of the points of the book is that you have 101 points of view about what kind of self-care worked for 101 people. And it gives you ideas for what will work for yourself, right? Like, I don't think anybody was knitting but maybe knitting is your form of self-care. And somebody else was hiking and jumping off cliffs. Well, that might not be your form of self-care, but that was hers. And so you realize there's a whole panoply of things you can do for your me time. It's really up to you to discover what works for you and then put it on your to-do list and then you're good. And now you are going to be a much less stressed, happier person going forward. So what is on your personal me time list aside from reading at night for an hour? Or exercising. So I guess I'm not unusual, right? Exercising. So I mean the best, I, okay. I can't meditate. I think I tried that for one week and I just kept wanting to multitask. Like I can't do that. I can't either. So (laughs) I can't either. No. And I was, I was, I was asking people like, well, can I ride the exercise bike, but not read while I'm doing it? So then that will be like meditating plus exercise bike. Like, no, you're not allowed to do that. You cannot multitask. So forget that. So I like to go on walks and listen to audiobooks since I don't have as much time to read. I, I read by listening to audiobooks. And then, so that's the reading. And then that's the exercising, which 
actually combines reading again, doesn't it? Because the audio okay, book said that. <laughs> okay, so I found two ways to read for my me time. Isn't that interesting? What do you think it is about stories? Because you're obviously like a story addict the way I am, right? I just love it. I love hearing them and I don't get tired ever of hearing stories, right? I'm like, I even just like pour over the obituaries because I'm like, wow, well, that's an interesting story. I wonder about her life and like, let me fill in these details and there's stories everywhere and I just can't get enough. And you in particular have dedicated your life to like getting more stories out there. So I don't know. What do you think it is about storytelling and and hearing stories and having stories be a part of the fabric of our our everyday lives? It's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, stories are so entertaining. And then for some reason, stories are always enlightening. Even though, you know, we particularly pick stories for our books because they're going to be particularly enlightening as they entertain you and they're going to let you think and they're going to help you improve yourself in a very in a really painless way, right? You're not like writing essays or doing bullet lists or, you know, doing homework from some self-care book, you know, you're actually just being entertained while it painlessly, you know, gets into your head. I don't know why I love stories so much, but I always have. I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch television as a kid, so I read a lot, but really television was storytelling also. Who doesn't like stories, right? I know. I know. I just, I don't know. Well, it is how mankind has passed on wisdom and culture and advice forever, right? Like it's, before we had written language, we had storytelling around the campfire, right? Like that is the most effective way. Like if you want your kids to pick up certain values or cautionary tales about not going you know, out with a drunk driver or whatever, whatever you're trying to get into your kids' brains, stories are always more effective than just telling them. But even as an adult and somebody who's supposed to just tell herself stuff, I find I get so much from reading other people's stories. And you know what people tell me? And I don't know if I should take this as an insult, but (laughs) my friends, well, they, okay. So my friends, you know, who've known me forever. So they knew me pre-Chicken Soup for the Soul when I was the Wall Street person who was trading and, you know, swearing with the other traders and doing all that stuff, that hard person. So now they say, you're so nice now. Like, oh, really? What was I like before? But also, I just find that when you read all these stories, you just become so much less judgmental because you're so exposed to the fact that stuff happens and what can happen in anybody's life and how anybody can make a mistake and how everybody's basically good underneath those mistakes. And you just become more grateful also for what you have. So I really feel like I've become way more forgiving and less judgmental and more grateful and more aware every single day of what's good in my life. And also you learn not to take things personally. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're at a store, like, well, like we're going to stores now, but let's say, you, let's pretend you're still going into stores and there was a crabby cashier. Well, you learn from reading all these stories. Okay. Something else is going on in her life. It has nothing to do with me. She doesn't even really know who I am or what I look like. If she closed her eyes, she couldn't tell you who she was just crabby at, you know? And so that allows you to just go through life like untouched by it. You know, you become Teflon. So for me, stories have dramatically improved my disposition, apparently, (laughs) according to what people say. I love that. (laughs) Well, you're such an inspiration to me because so much of 
what I would like to do, you have successfully done already on such a big scale, like the community and the stories. And it's just amazing. So you're like a total role model. I just like, I'm watching what you're doing and trying to learn and, you know, so it's great. Do you have any parting advice for aspiring authors? I think that you should write stories that come from your heart. I know that sounds so sappy, but if you're really passionate about something, you will write better. And so to me, the best thing to do is to sit down and write about something that happened to you in your real life. And even people who write novels draw it from their own lives and from the lives of people they know well. But you're going to be a better writer when you write about something that where you really feel the emotions. And then the other thing I tell people is you have to be unselfish in your sharing and really reveal everything. You know, that's what you did in your book about moms don't have time to. I mean, I noticed that in your stories, you really shared your innermost thoughts and that is so helpful to other people and that makes the best writing. So that would be my advice is just share unselfishly. And if you're writing for Chicken Soup for the Soul and you're really oversharing about a particular family member, we will let you use a pen name. (laughs) Good to know. I have actually used yeah. that name in the past because I haven't wanted to get in trouble. <laughs> it's a useful tool, not, yeah, not outdated. Well, Amy, thank you. And I know we're going to have all these other opportunities and we're doing all these Instagram lives and Facebook lives and all the rest. And I'm so excited. So yeah, I'm thrilled that we've connected because of these books. And thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on. And I know I'll be seeing you again soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Amy. Thanks so much to Three Righteous Mamas for sponsoring today's podcast. And just a reminder again, please pre-order a copy of my book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology, and go to my website under the anthology tab for the fundraiser, and I hope you'll buy a ticket and join me for, and I should have mentioned um, all proceeds go to COVID-19 research. So please join me for the fundraiser. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time To Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 